Now, one of my favorite poems is written by the late African-American poet, Maya Angelou. And here are some of the lines uh, from Maya Angelou's poem. She says, lying, thinking, last night, how to find my soul a home where water is not thirsty and bread loaf is not stone. I came up with one thing, and I don't believe I am wrong, that nobody, nobody can make it out here alone. That nobody, nobody can make it out here alone. Uh, Maya Angelou is saying that life is full of problems and we cannot face these problems on our own. We need help from outside. And, and, and all of us know this is true, don't we? We know we need help from outside. No man or woman is an island. Uh, over the last six weeks uh, at our midweek prayer meetings, uh, we have been praying for people in the church. And uh, people were outside. Uh, people were, ve- were in very difficult situations. We've set ourselves two goals really this year to pray particularly for people to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to grow in the knowledge of him. And we've also been spending time really praying for people um, who have had difficult practical needs. And some of you have been kindly sharing those needs and we've been able to pray for them. Some of the people have been praying for this over the last six weeks have been battling illness. Others are challenging family situations. Some are struggling with mental health. Um, some have got children struggling with mental health. Others have difficult financial issues. Uh, some are locked in battles with local authorities over um, care issues or um, mental support, that kind of thing. And the list of issues we've been praying about just goes on. And the reason we've been praying, though, is not simply because we agree with Maya Angelou that we, that we need help from outside. The reason we've been praying is that we know something more than that. We know that true help only comes from God himself. That's why we pray. Because whatever issues we are facing in our lives, God is the answer. Yes, nobody, nobody can make it out here alone. And we should add an extra line there that only God can sustain us. Only God is our true help. And yet, of course, you've heard that many times, I'm sure, being in church here. And yet, even though you know that, as a follower of Christ, you know that God is your only helper. In fact, we did a Psalms of Ascent series, and that was his main theme. The Lord is my helper. Even though we know that, we've heard it many times, we often forget this truth. And we forget it, especially when we are going through challenges in life. We are prone to wonder, as the hymn writer says, prone to live the God we love. We are prone to turn to other helpers, other helpers, force helpers, rather than look to God alone to be our help. And of course, what happens when we do that is that we are robbing ourselves of the blessing of inner peace that we talked about this morning. And we rob ourselves of the present help of God. And of course, the Lord is gracious and kind and he knows that. So that is why he has given us his holy word to encourage us to grow in looking to him at all times. 
And so this evening, what I want us to do is to look at the part, one of the passages that encourages us to keep our focus on God. Turn with me there to First Peter chapter 5, verse 10 to 11. The, the Apostle Peter wrote this letter to the churches in Asia Minor. We find that the five churches at the beginning uh, of verse 1. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Like all of us, these churches were made up of real men and women who were going through difficulties in their lives. And Peter begins the letter by doing what? Verse 3 onwards. He begins by thanking God for how these believers are coping with suffering. And the amazing thing as you read the, gospel, the, the letter of Peter is that they are not just coping with suffering. They are, growing, they, they, they are suffering with joy. Verse 6 to verse 9 of chapter 1. And yet as we read through... These people who are suffering with joy, as we read through the letter, what we discover is that these people who are already persevering through love, through, through joy, through suffering, through with joy, they still need encouragement. That's an amazing thing. You think Peter should stop on chapter 1, but it doesn't. It carries on. These godly people, mature people, you might consider yourself a mature Christian this evening. People like you, I would say, need encouragement from God to keep going. And so Peter has written this letter to do just that, to encourage all believers going through suffering. Um, and, and I say, I want to look at verse 5 to verse 10 to 11. Just read that. It says this, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Uh, these verses are at the end of the letter. And that's important because I think in many ways they are a good summary of the encouragement that Peter has been giving these sufferers for the last five chapters. Now, just before verse 10 to 11, Peter has been warning believers to resist the attack of the devil. Peter is saying we must not allow suffering brought on even by Satan to lead us into sin. We must stand firm in our faith. Now, for the original recipient of the letter, the suffering they were facing um, was, was, was what we might call mild persecution. They were being persecuted. But the persecution hadn't yet gathered steam, as it were, at this time. And yet, because they are new believers, we would imagine that it was very threatening still to them. And they, 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 they would have been tempted to respond to suffering in a sinful way. Suffering is temptation. It can tempt us to lash out at the source of suffering. That's one temptation. So we could sin by how we react to it, by if somebody has caused us harm, we cause them harm back, retaliation and we sin. Or we can sin by self-pity, can't we? In any suffering we go through, whatever the source, even going through sickness, we could find ourselves pitying ourselves and becoming self-focused. Most of the people I know who have suffered struggle with selfishness, for example. It's a big issue. You'd be surprised lying there on the hospital bed Self-focus and selfishness can grip them, and that's a sin that they're struggling with. You're not sinless on the hospital bed. 
There are many sins that still entangles us. So Peter is keen for us not to, uh, if we're going through suffering, he's keen for us not to sin as we respond to suffering. And so in verse 10, he encourages these believers and us to focus on God. That's the antidote. Focus on God. And he says this, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. He just told them about the devil, and then he's shifting. He's saying, look, don't get fixed on the devil. Don't fix too much on the suffering. The suffering is temporary, remember that. Keep your focus on God. And so he starts with the encouragement in verse 10 and he ends with a prayer in verse 11. I sometimes call this the benediction for sufferers. And I think the key message Peter is getting across in these two verses is this. Keep your focus on God. No matter what difficult challenges you are going through, you must keep your focus on God. So how do we do that? How do we keep our focus on God? Three things Peter shows us in this. Three things he wants us to do. The first thing is this. We must focus on what God is like. When you're going through suffering, focus on what God is like. That's the first thing. Focus on what God is like. Now, what I've just said goes against our natural instinct. Right? When troubles burst through the doors of our lives and announced, what, what do we do? We start panicking, don't we? We panic. If you have a friend... Or a family member, you go to them for help. And increasingly, of course, what all of us do is we search Google, don't we? We go to Google, we try and find the answer. It doesn't matter what the issue is, we go for Google, right? Google is the way we solve debates in the pub. And uh, Google is what ensures that we don't look incompetent at work. Uh, Google is, is, the way we tr- is, 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 is where we find our inspirational sermon for the week. Google has become the closest thing many people have to an all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful being who they trust for their problems in life. Not just Google, it's chat GPT now, but the internet as a whole. But whether you are Googling, or you are calling a friend, or you are escaping through retail therapy or television, right? All of us are doing the same thing when suffering arrives. You are chasing the problem. Are you going through suffering at the moment? The question you have to ask yourself is, are you chasing the problem? Or are you chasing God? And Peter in this passage is reminding us to resist the temptation to chase the problem. When we face problem, we must focus exclusively on the God we know in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must focus on what this God is like. When problems sweep us off our feet, we must land on our knees with a razor sharp focus of what our God is like. Our problem must make us look and gaze on his character. You see, problems in life always change the way you look at God. When you're facing problems in life, they're either making you adore God more, or they're making you like, oh, who is this God? I'm not sure about him. And so right now, as you're facing through challenges, I don't know what challenges you're facing, ask yourself, whatever they are. There may be mild issues, there may be complex issues. Are these problems I'm facing making me adore God more and more? Or are they in me like, I'm not sure about him? Peter is saying, problems should make us focus 
on what God is like. You make us adore God. And there are a number of things that Peter tells us here that we need to think when we're, when we're facing problems, there are a number of things about what God is like that we need to focus on in this passage. First of all, keep your focus on the truth that our God is a God of all grace. Our God is a God of all grace. Look at that, verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to eternal glory will himself restore and confirm you. Peter, first of all, wants them to get it. Don't focus on the devil. Don't focus on your problem. Remember who God is. Remember what God is like and focus on the fact that this God you have in Christ is a God of all grace. As you go through challenges, don't forget that the, Lord, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ is not a God who is poor in grace. He is a God who is overflowingly rich in grace. And if we, had, if we asked Peter to expand a bit more what grace is, he would remind us, he would say, remember what grace is in Christ. It's not simply undeserved favor. No, grace in Christ is much more than that. It's God's relentless pursuit of rebels to be with him. Our God in Christ is gracious because his character edges him on to take pity on people who don't want anything to do with him. And Peter is saying to us here, remember God as relentless desire. He's saying to, if Peter was here preaching, he would say to you, remember God as relentless desire to stoop down to your level, to rescue you, to give himself generous to you in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. He has relented desire not just to save you, not just to forgive you, not just to redeem you. He has desire to enjoy you. To enjoy you as his beloved child in Christ. You know, God in Christ does not just give us a bit of grace here and there. He is the God of all grace. He is full of grace, humongous grace, overflowing grace. You know, everything God does in your life is by his grace. Suffering has come, it's his grace towards you. You see that in a moment. Challenges at work, it is his grace towards you. Struggling as a parent, it is his grace towards you. We must remember that. You know, when we're going through challenges, the devil is very quick to whisper to our ears. You know you deserve this. God does not really care about you. And I would say to you, honestly, as, a, as, a, as somebody who preaches regularly, the devil even whispers that to me sometimes when I'm standing up here. The devil is quick to whisper that. You said, you look how you failed him. You went into this situation without prayer, so can you really expect God to help you now? The devil whisper. The devil is an accuser, isn't it? He? he makes us feel hopeless. And when he accuses us, we can be tempted. You know, when the devil accuses us, we can be tempted to respond to God in the only way we know how to respond. How do we respond? We respond by trying harder. We try and buy God's favor, don't we? That's what we do. Perhaps if I just do a bit more, God will love me, right? We respond to the devil's accusations with works. 
Perhaps God will be more proud of me. You know, Peter has been there, failing the Lord. And he knows that is not the way to respond to any challenges in life. Whatever challenges we face, we need to keep focusing on the grace of God in Christ. We can't buy God. And we don't have to. Our Father is full of grace. Our relationship with God doesn't depend on us. It depends on his grace alone in Christ. Well, what a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing to know. And so whatever situation you are in this evening, keep your focus on this God of grace. He's a God of all grace towards his precious children. So that's the first thing we need to do, isn't it? We need to remember what God is like and, and then think about what God is like. We need to remember he's a God of all grace. But there's another thing about what, what God is like. There's a second thing. Peter tells us about what God is like here. God is not just a God of all grace. Peter says God is a God of eternal glory. Did you see that? After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to what? His eternal glory. The God of the Bible is eternal. And if we're in Sunday school, say, so what does that mean? Well, it means he has no beginning and he has no end. This means that God has infinite life within himself. No one can take life away from him. That means God has boundless and limitless energy beyond comprehension. It also means that God's character is eternal. There is no beginning or end to his perfections. Our God did not become good. God did not become kind. God did not become loving. God did not become merciful. God is. That is who God is, beloved. He never changes. He never changes. That is our God. That is our God in Christ. You know, our great God and Father doesn't need to grow in grace he has always been and will always be infinitely perfect. Oh, what a marvelous thing to know that we have such a God in Christ. And the Apostle Peter is saying to us, when you are going through challenges, keep your focus on this eternal God. Keep remembering that he, he, he has no limits. He knows it all. Focus on this God who is Lord over time and space. He was there before time, and you'll be there after time. Focus on this God who, who fills all spaces at all times. He is present at each moment. God sees all of life as, an, as a single moment. Get us this focus on Him. Focus on Him. You know, think about God. This God who was present, who sees you right now as a toddler. He's present right now as you are. And he's present right now as you being a 60-year-old. He sees all of the span of your life in a single moment. Before him, you are dead and you are alive at the same time. He is the ever-present I am. 
you know, the eternality of God puzzles us, doesn't it? God is way out of our league. And if you are like me, you sometimes think to yourself as you ponder the character of God, Lord, why would a God like that bother with me? Why would infinity bother with finitude? Why? And in a moment of temptation, you're like, oh, yeah. why are you bothered to pray? But then you remember, he is the God of all grace. That's why he bothers. This eternal God is my Lord Jesus Christ. My eternal God has dressed in my human skin to love me, Chola. Me, a sinner. And he's done far more than that. Not merely love me from a distance. He's gone to that cross to die for my sin. What a God we have in Christ. A God who is not only eternal, he is eternally glorious. Don't miss that. That's what Peter is getting at here. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory. Oh, beloved, what is glory? What is the glory of God? It is his beauty, isn't it? His splendor. It is who he is. It is honor, his reputation. The glory of God not only speaks to his character, it speaks to his actions in history as our Lord and Redeemer. And of course, we read mostly about the glory of God in that famous Psalm 29, isn't it? Which at every moment cries glory. Oh, beloved, you know, one of the saddest things about going through challenges in life is that our struggles often hide the beauty and glory of God from us. Do you remember the Gospel of Mark? When the disciples were in the boat. Do you remember that? And the storm came. I'm not talking about chapter 4. I'm thinking yeah, chapter 6, I think. Right? Christ was not with them. He was praying on a mountain. And then the Gospel of Mark tells us that Christ comes and is walking on the water. As he approaches them. They are in this boat and, and they are terrified because of the storm. What do they think of who Jesus is at that moment? They think they are seeing a ghost. And they are frightened by the presence of Christ. That's telling us something about suffering, isn't it? Suffering can hide the glory of Christ from us. It can even make Christ appear frightening. Peter was there, of course, wasn't he? And he knows we forget the glory of God during suffering. So he's saying here to us, keep remembering how eternally glorious God is. You know, many of us struggle to remembering God is a wonderfully beautiful person. We allow the distractions of life to keep us away from looking at him. We need to remember. How do we keep remembering? How do we do that? Well, we must study his word, isn't it? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. We must keep meditating on it. We must hear it preached to us morning and evening. If we do not keep the beauty of God central in our lives, we won't be able to stand firm. Peter is saying stand firm. How are you going to stand firm? Focus on the eternal glorious God, Peter is saying. The third and final thing we need to remember about what our God is like is that he's the God of dominion. Don't miss that in verse 11. Peter wants to remind them, to him be the dominion. Forever and ever. Amen. What does it mean that God 
has dominion. Well, it means that God is in control over all things that happens in the world. Who is in charge of the earthquake in southern Turkey? God is. God is. Who is in charge of our climate? God is. Who is in charge of the chair you're sitting on? God is. God is in control over your spouse. God is in control over your boss at work. God is in control over the undisciplined kids at school. God is in control of your past, of your present, and of your future. And because God controls all things, he has authority over all things, not only because of his control, but he's, a, he's, he's, a, he's, he's the author of life. He's the author of everything. Therefore, he has full authority over everything. He's the owner. And Peter is saying to us, look, when you're going through suffering, focus on this truth. That God has dominion over every detail of your life. Focus on this truth that God has dominion over your suffering. Focus on the fact that the suffering isn't happening at someone else's watch. It is happening on God's watch. He has dominion over it. You know, when we remember that suffering is not outside the will of God, outside his sovereign will of God, when we trust in the rule and sovereignty of God, well, we'll persevere, won't we? We'll have the peace, the inner, we'll grow in the inner peace we're talking about this morning. And so Peter is saying, remind yourself of this truth. Remind yourself what this truth means that God has dominion. To me, it means that the person that I am, Chola, the life that I live, the things I do, must advance the glory of God. If God has dominion over my life, my life must advance his dominion. It means my life must rest continuously in the knowledge that I'm not my own, I belong to him. It must rest in the peace of knowing that God rules all things in Christ and I have nothing to worry about. Absolutely nothing. I'm not in charge. He is. But it also means I should live my life with the radical intention that ensures that every aspect of my life honors this amazing God who made me and saved me in Christ. Now, all true followers of Christ know the things I've been talking about. You know that God rules all things. But you know what I think? Most of the time we deny this truth in the way we live. We're not atheists. But we are practical atheists, many of us. And it is easy to prove this. We sin against God. What is sin if sin is not the denial of the rule of God over all things? Sin proves we don't believe in the dominion of God as we should. Our prayerlessness proves we don't believe in the dominion of God. We don't pray because we don't believe God is in charge and can actually bring about the things we are praying about. And this is something that has always puzzled me. So, reformed, right? 
Five points. Right? Total depravity. Unconditional election. Right? Limited atonement. Right? Irresistible grace. And perseverance of the saints. What underpins these five things? It's the sovereignty of God. That's why Reformed theology is the sovereignty of God in salvation. You bring nothing to the table. God has dominion over everything. So why are our churches so weak at prayer then? What's going on there? Why is prayer the least attended meeting in our churches? Practical atheism. You know, the, the great truth, the great truth of the Bible have within them all the infinite power that the Lord God allows to transform us and change us. But, but the same word of God that can melt one heart has equal power to harden the heart. And the tragedy then is, you must ask yourself, it is a blessing to sit under reformed preaching. It is. But it's a curse to you if all you're doing is is hardening. We cannot, beloved, simply hear the word. We must cry out to God to change us. We must cry out to God to change us. Because we are not the only reformed churches around. There are many churches that are built on a reformed heritage. We know of such. And the exposure to reformed heritage has hardened them into sin. They are no longer broken by this, the sovereignty of God. We must not allow that to be the case for us. We must cry out to God to change us. When we reflect on the dominion of God, we must ask ourselves, Lord, make me bow down under your dominion. Change me. Help me not to be a person who is seeking favor of human beings instead of spending time pleading to the God who controls all things to exert his power over my life. Husbands, pray you should do less talking to your wife and more pleading for her before the throne of God. It's not your talking that will change her. It is God who is sovereign who is going to change her. Parents do the same thing. I don't mean to have a go at the husband. I'm sure I could have flipped that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm just saying, right? Same thing with children, isn't it? And anyway, parents, you know that. If you've been, I've only got one. Some of you have got more than one. And you know you, know you can change your kids. <laughs> you know, and I thank God for you, mothers, because I know you're very prayerful in this area already. And the Lord has given you kids and has taught you that apart from prayer, you can do nothing. Some of us need to learn that. But even for you, mothers who have learned that, you still need to be reminded of this truth. Beloved, let us not take these truths for granted. Let us... Remember what our God is like. 
when we're going through suffering. Let me move quickly. I've got two points. This sermon might not finish, actually, by the way. Um, sec- second point we must do. The, the question is, how do we respond? What, what does Peter want us to learn when we're going through suffering? The first thing is that we must focus on what God is like. The second thing, and I'll be quick, in the next two points. The second thing is that we must fo- focus on what God has done for us in Christ. Peter, in this benediction for sufferers, is reminding followers of Christ not just who God is, but also on what God has already done for us in Christ. And there are many things God has done for us in Christ. But Peter here, interestingly, focuses just on one truth. He says, keep remembering that God has called you to his glory. Look at this thing. And after you've served for for a little while, the God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, who himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter is saying God has called us. What does Peter mean by this? Well, actually, praise the Lord that Peter has already defined what he means in chapter 1. Because in chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, and verse 20 to 21, Peter says this. This is how the letter starts. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. Did you see that? Those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. How? According to the what? Foreknowledge of God the Father. God knew them before the foundation of the world. When he comes to chapter, to verse 20 of chapter 1, he says this about Christ. He, Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So based on 1 Peter 1 verse 1, what Peter is saying in verse 10 of chapter 5 is that God has chosen or elected us in Christ from the foundation of the world to be his people. And of course, in time, God has called us Right? So elected then called us by the preaching of the gospel to become his people. We are followers of Jesus, not because we chose Christ, but because he chose us. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. Even that is not your undoing. It is a gift from God. And why has God called us? Why has he chosen us? Verse 10, to enjoy his eternal glory. He has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. And notice the key there is the word his. God has called us to bask in his eternal glory in Christ. Peter is saying, as you suffer, beloved, remember you are not a Christian by your willpower. God chose you. God called you. Your life with God depends on him alone. So focus on this truth of being called. Let it comfort you. Let it keep you looking to Christ and not to yourself. You are called by God in Christ. And, and in chapter 1, Peter has told us a wonderful truth. You can read that, verse 6 to uh, verse 9. Peter has told us that we have a wonderful, in fact, verse, five, verse 4 and 5 as well in chapter 1. He has called, God has called us to a wonderful future, a wonderful inheritance we have that is waiting for us. And, and, and Peter says it's being guarded, and the original Greek word there says it's being garrisoned, being kept, safe, you know, like the gold in the Bank of England, under total protection, right? God is keeping that glory for us. No one's going to take it away from us. In fact, we already have it 
in one sense, because Christ in you what? The hope of glory. So Peter is saying this, he said, when you are going through his suffering, remember that God has called you to this eternal glory in Christ. When trouble comes, remind yourself, no matter what is going in my life, I am not of this world. My life is much greater than this. Do not let the troubles of this world get you down. Don't let the issues of life take away your peace. You must preach the scripture to yourself. Imagine Lord John says, you must preach the word of God to yourself. Focus on what you have in Christ. Look, this is not manifesting as the, uh, uh, the New Ages call it. This is the opposite of that. It is you declaring who you already are in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the new heavens and the new earth to inherit. You have the face of Christ to behold. Christ, you know, prayed that you may see his glory. Peter is saying, focus on that. Focus on now. That one day you shall see the Son of Man in his glory. That's your heritage. Don't doubt these infinite blessings you already have in Christ. When you are suffering, you are tempted to forget them. Don't do that, Peter says. The more you remember that you are chosen for eternal glory, the more you focus on that, the more you persevere with joy in your suffering. Keep remembering God has placed you in Christ. You are in Christ, not outside. Your life is now secure in him. Look, beloved, I don't know what challenges you're experiencing at the moment. But God does. And he's saying, this is the truth you need to hear right now. Keep remembering that God has chosen you in Christ for eternal glory. And as you do that, this truth will grow your life. And your love for God in the middle of your present suffering. Because you know, when I think of this truth, it says to me this. It says, I am not the author of my salvation. I bring nothing to God except my filthy, rotten sin. All that I am comes from him. The more I remember this truth, the more I love him. It moves my heart to worship and praise him for his infinite love, power, glory, and wisdom. And the more I love God, the more I want to live for him. No matter what I'm facing, the more I love him, the more I don't want to sin, even in my suffering. The more I love God, the more I love what God loves. And the more my heart is moved to wait patiently on his time. And the more I face life with peace. That's the connection to the sermon in the morning. So this evening, beloved, come before God. Ask him to help you grow in declaring this truth that God has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. That's the second thing, right? We, the second thing that we must do is that we must, as we go through challenge, we, we must focus on what, what God is like. Secondly, we must focus on what God has done for us in Christ. The final thing, and I'll be finished, and we'll have the Lord's Supper. The final thing is that we must focus on what God is doing right now. We must focus on what God is doing. What is God doing in your life right now? How would you answer that? What is God up to right now? Well, the answer is given to us in verse 10. And I'll be very quick on this point. I've said that three times now. No, I really, I will be quick now. Right? 
Peter knows that sometimes we don't feel like we are headed to the new heavens and the new earth. Especially when we are suffering. So Peter wants us to remember that the grace of God that's coming, that will be lavished on us in the new, the future grace that John Piper calls it, is in the here and now. It's still at work in the here and now. And it's especially at work in the troubles you are facing in your life. And Peter describes the four ways God is at work in your life. Four comforting truths, first of all. And I'll end here. First of all, remember God is restoring you. What is God up to in your suffering? God is restoring you. The original word means to complete or to make everything right. God, through your suffering, is providing what is lacking. Yes, I know you think you're a complete article, but God thinks otherwise. You are a work in progress. And he has allowed suffering to restore you to, what, to where he wants you to be. Peter is saying, whatever is going on in your life, you must keep your focus on the truth that God is working to complete and perfect you in Christ. He who has started a good work in you shall bring it to completion. Keep remembering that the suffering you experience is all part of how God is perfecting you. Beloved, as Paul David Tripp says, suffering is not the absence of grace. Suffering is grace. It is the grace of God at work to do what only suffering can do to perfect us in Christ. Second thing, remember God is confirming you. Isn't that what Peter says? Who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore and confirm what does it mean? It means that God is continuously working in your life to make you become more rooted in Christ. Peter is saying this, look, remember God is using your perseverance in Christ as confirming means is producing evidence, right? God is using your suffering in life to produce evidence or witness to you and to people around you that your life is built on Christ the rock. Your suffering as painful as it is, is not being wasted. It's a gift from God to, to grow you in assurance of your faith and your witness in the world. Now, I, I think I, I would have loved to have just had a sermon on this because I think we need to unpack that a bit more. On just how, how suffering confirms us in Christ. But you all come to Bible study, so I'm sure you can, you, you fill in the blanks, right? As they say. Preachers should never say fill in the blanks, but you know what I mean, right? <laughs> Restoration, confirmation, strengthening is a, is a third thing. God, who himself restore, confirm, strengthen. Suffering makes us weak, doesn't it? We feel weak when we're suffering. It is weakening us. But remember what our brother Gavin Peacock said when he was preaching here? The problem is that you're too strong. So God is at work to weaken you. So God uses suffering to weaken us. Because when we are weak, then we can say with who? With the apostle Paul. What do we say? When I'm weak, then I'm strong, right? right? I'm perfected through weakness, right? God is strengthening us. So, so, so when, when you are going through suffering, don't despair. Be like Paul. Remember to delight in it. 
Yeah, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made what? Perfect through weakness. Final thing. God is establishing us. And we'll end here, right? God is establishing us. The God of our grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Other versions, for example, the New Century Version will say, will keep you from falling. The NLT says, you place you on a firm foundation, right? So you get the idea what Peter is saying. Peter is saying, when you go through struggles, remember, no matter what's going on in your life, God will keep you. And so Peter has returned to his theme of chapter 1. Verse 4 and 5. We are being garrisoned. We are being kept for a glorious inheritance. Peter is saying you are firm in Christ. And you say that as you read on. Everything God is doing, beloved, I just want to end here um, because we're going to move on. Everything God is doing in your life, beloved, is not to push you out of the kingdom. It is to keep you in the kingdom. Did you hear that? All things are for your good in Christ. It may puzzle us, but even the deepest suffering is there to keep us in Christ. God is sovereign over all things, and he exercises his sovereignty through means. And one of the means God uses is suffering and troubles. Coming back to Paul Tripp, suffering is not an absence of God's grace or even of his sovereignty. Suffering is grace. It is how God keeps us in Christ. Your life in Christ is secure no matter what. And so Peter is saying, look, focus on this glorious truth that the, this amazing God, this wonderful God, this beautiful God, this great God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has called you by his grace, is keeping you by his grace. And may the Lord help all of us this evening to grow in focusing on this God. May he help us to focus on what God is like. May he help us to focus on what God has already done for us in Christ and what God is doing now for us. Those four things is restoring us, confirming us, strengthening us, and establishing us. Amen.